This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Today, I'm going to be talking about spiritual herbicide. Well, at least that's what I think I'm going to call this episode. What are the dangers to fruitful life? What are the dangers to a life of faith? What did Jesus have to say about things that will kill uh, the fruitfulness of a disciple? How is a fruitful life ruined? Well, that's the topic today. And before I get into that, uh, just remind you once again that if you have any questions or comments or would like to share anything with me, please feel free to send me a note at the email address ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. And I'll also remind you that I have a YouTube channel. All of these episodes are available there. And one of the conveniences of going to YouTube is that I have playlists. So you can easily search through previous episodes and topics that I've spoken about. So please feel free to go there and subscribe to that channel if you like. And again, I hope that you'll give some feedback, either leaving a comment here on your podcast feed or at the YouTube channel. I'd love to hear from you. It's good to get positive feedback, always feels good, and it's helpful and good to get negative feedback also. (laughs) So please send me a note. I'd like to hear from you. So as I said, I'll be talking today about how is a fruitful life ruined? What did Jesus say about that? This is something that's been percolating in my mind and my heart for a while, and I've mentioned it in passing in previous episodes. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 13, one of the parables of Jesus, uh, what he said, and then what he meant by what he said. Now, before we get into the scripture itself, I want to say that I am talking with believers now. This message is intended for people who are followers of Jesus, people who have heard the word and embraced the word of God. Jesus spoke many things to many people, and of course, very often was speaking to non-believers, people that were not disciples. Some of what we'll read in Matthew chapter 13 was spoken to people who were not his followers. However, the message that I hope to bring today is for people who are following Jesus. So we'll look at Matthew chapter 13. It's good to give some context, of course. Matthew chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 13, as far as I can tell, all happened on the same day. It's pretty remarkable, the things that happened on that day. The first thing we know about the events of that day is when Jesus talks about the Son of Man being the Lord of the Sabbath. And this is also when Jesus healed a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute And people claimed that he was doing this by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. This is when Jesus said that every kingdom that is divided against itself will not stand. And also on this day, Jesus talked about the sign of Jonah. And that's also when Jesus' mother and brothers came. They wanted to speak with him. He was inside and they stood outside. And someone told him, said, your mother and brothers are standing outside. They want to speak to you. And he said... Oh, good, my mom and my brothers are here. Bring them on in. (laughs) No. Uh, Jesus said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he pointed to the disciples and said, Here is my family. Here is my mother and my brothers. 
For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. So that was on the same day, and that's where we pick up at the start of chapter 13 in Matthew. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. And such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood around on the shore. Well, that's the beginning of chapter 13. And I'll stop before we get into the red letter words, the words of Jesus, and uh, just comment that I was talking to a friend uh, a couple of days ago. My friend mentioned that this is an example of the spiritual gift of administration. And I'd never thought about that. Jesus himself walked in all of the gifts of the Spirit, and there is a gift of the Spirit called the gift of administration. And Jesus realized that when he was on the shore, people were just gathered around him so tightly that the people further back in the crowd couldn't hear him, perhaps. So he got a boat, and he went out, and he did things in an orderly way so that many people could be served, so that he could bless many people. So he had to get a boat and go out into the water while the people all stood on the shoreline. I thought that was interesting, that gift of administration, just doing things well so that many people are blessed, making sure all the right pieces are in the right place so that the ministry can happen. And then it continues in verse 3, And then he told him many things in parables. And I think everybody listening to me has heard this parable There's a real temptation to skip past it and just sort of assume that everybody knows what the parable says, but I think it's important to actually read what Jesus said. So then he told him this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some of the seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. And it sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear. Now, If I were a pretty simple fisherman or farmer standing on the shore of the lake and Jesus said this and then ended with, he who has ears, let him hear, I would think that he was probably trying to say something beyond what he had just said. But I could also imagine a lot of people saying, well, yeah, okay, seed falls on shallow soil and then it can't grow up and the sun scorches it and If you got a bunch of weeds, they'll choke it out for sure. But if you have seed on good soil, yeah, it produces a crop. Uh, Okay, so what? (laughs) Yeah, what is he saying? Um, Before we go further, I do want to mention here that we need to listen for this word understanding. Jesus is going to use this word several times as we read through what comes up next. And I went and I looked up the Greek word for understanding And I was hoping to find some really deep theological meaning in the Greek word that's translated as understanding. And then I read it. This is the Strong's number 4862. And it's defined as and translated as to understand. It also has a meaning to set together. So that's interesting. But it's always translated as understanding and putting things together, which makes sense. 
If you understand something, you start to comprehend how the different parts all fit together. So Jesus is going to use this word multiple times. Let's listen for this word understanding as I read through what comes next. Verse 10. Well, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, why do you speak to the people in parables? And that's a really good question. Jesus came to bring the truth and for people to know the truth and to speak what is true. And yet he's speaking in these parables that are very hard to comprehend. And so I think the disciples were right to ask him to go to Jesus and say, we need some clarity about this. And Jesus replied in verse 11, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has more will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And this is why I speak in parables. Let's note right now that it is the people who ask Jesus to clarify that receive the revelation. The disciples come and they ask Jesus What's this all mean? Why are you doing this? And he gives them revelation. And there is a message there for us. Not all of the thousands came to Jesus and asked him for clarity, but these disciples did. And we also must come to the Lord in order to learn from him and to learn of him. Not everyone will understand his words, but those who seek him and ask him will be rewarded. So Jesus says in verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. And here he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. And this is a very good example of him memorizing the scripture and for us to memorize scripture. Of course, Jesus knows the scripture inside out. He's the author of it. And here he quotes Isaiah 6. And let's listen for this word understand and understanding. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. And here is the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. That was from Isaiah, and Jesus continues, But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. So look at what Jesus is saying, the reason that he speaks in parables, that people have closed their eyes, they hardly hear with their ears. Their hearts are calloused. This is a matter of the heart. Hearing, but never understanding. In order to understand, they must walk with Jesus. They have to be disciples of Jesus. But those who choose not to go to Jesus, those who choose not to walk with him, they'll hardly hear. They've closed their eyes, and their hearts are calloused, never understanding. And then Jesus says in verse 18, Listen to what the parable of the sower means. Well, this is wonderful. The disciples have asked Jesus, please clarify this. Please tell us, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus says, well, there are a lot of people whose hearts are calloused, and I'm going to reveal the secrets of the kingdom to people who have ears to hear. Amen. 
That's the way of God. He understands that many are called, but few are chosen. So, as I go through the meaning of the parable of the sower, first I'll read from the parable itself, and then I'll read what Jesus said about that, and then I'll just give a couple of thoughts myself. So in verse 3, Jesus said, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some of the seed fell along a path, and the birds came and ate it up. So that's the first seed. Falls along a path, which is trod down. It's hard soil. The seed is not going to take root. And then the birds come and eat it. In verse 18, Jesus says what this means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. That's the seed that's sown along the path. Well, a couple of things here. Jesus is talking about sowing this word in the heart. He's talking about spiritual things now, not physical things. Farmers would understand the physical aspects of seed falling on a path. But Jesus now is talking about something that is sown in the heart. And there are people who hear the message about the kingdom, but they don't understand it. So, what is this danger that we face, this first herbicide that stops spiritual fruit? The first one is a spiritual danger. A person can hear the message, but they don't understand it. And then there are evil forces that come and snatch away what was sown. It's very important here to see that Jesus says these are people who hear, but they do not understand. And then there's a spiritual force that just takes it away, and it, and it doesn't have any chance to take root in the heart. And again, this is in the heart. It's a spiritual event. From this, I must recognize, we have to recognize, that there are spiritual forces at work that will come to steal faith. People who hear the message but don't understand it, people who have calloused hearts, hard hearts, people who will not humble themselves to really listen, to go to Jesus and ask for clarity. There's a spiritual event that happens, and demonic forces can come and take away what was sown. Just take it away. That's a really important reason for us to intercede for people, because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against these spiritual powers. And sometimes, if we have a family member who is hearing the good news all the time, they hear the message about the kingdom, but there's not any evidence of understanding, well, it could very well be that there are spiritual forces at work that are actually snatching that away in a spiritual, unseen manner. And we can intercede for them, pray for them. Jesus is saying this happens, that people hear, they don't understand, And then the seed is just taken away. It's not even an option that will begin to take root at all. Well, what's the second herbicide, the second spiritual danger? This is self-preservation. So in verse 5, Jesus had said, Some of the seed fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, and they had no root. I've actually had that happen when I was sowing grass seed. Some of the seed fell where the soil was pretty shallow, and it did start to come up, but it never grew to maturity, and it just dries up when the sun comes out, because there's really no root there. So in verse 20, 
Jesus explains exactly what this means. He says, The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But, since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. So let's notice this person. It's a person who receives the word with joy, but there's no root. And then trouble or persecution because of the word will come along and kill that faith. Now, I've had this conversation with somebody just the other day. It's a missionary in a Hindu country. And she said that quite a few people left the church when the local authorities, the Hindu authorities, began to bring some persecution and pressure onto their fellowship. When I was in Congo, I spoke with a pastor. I think I mentioned it before. Many believers have been killed by Muslim fighters in that part of Congo. And this pastor said, when the killers came, the hypocrites left the church. And Jesus said, this is going to happen. And I've seen it happen. And I've often thought, if the church in the United States were to face persecution because of the word, the church buildings would begin to empty out quite a bit. Because there are people there that receive the word with joy. They hear the word. They think it's great. But there's no real deep root to it. There's no depth to it. And when trouble or persecution, hardship comes because of the word or persecution by others, well, they just, they're going to get out of there. There's no root there. It's a shallow heart. It's a shallow faith. Well, what's the third kind of herbicide to spiritual fruitfulness? This one I call hedonistic danger. And Jesus said, in verse 7, Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. And in verse 22, he explains what that is. He says, The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out, making it unfruitful. So here's a person, here's a heart, who hears the word, but then their hedonism kicks in. Not self-preservation, but self-gratification. And the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of this life get so concerned about this world and what's happening here, they stop thinking about eternity and certainly stop being obedient to the Lord's command to not worry about things of this life. And then, of course, there's the deceitfulness of wealth, And I have to say, it really is deceitful, this great lie that money and wealth is the source of our comfort and meaning and purpose. That's a lie, and it deceives many, many people. And I dare say that the churches in the world are full of people who fall into this category. They hear the word, but then the worries of this life... Their self-concern and the deception of wealth, they choke out that faith. Self is at the center, and focus is on what is seen rather than on what is unseen. And this isn't persecution or hardship because of the word, it's selfishness. So there Jesus speaks of three kinds of people. People who hear the word, but they don't get it. And then evil forces come and just take it away. They haven't really pressed through. They don't understand. The second kind of person is concerned about self-preservation and avoiding hardship and persecution. 
And those of us who walk with the Lord for any length of time realize there's going to be hard things that come because we're disciples of Jesus. Some of the hardships we face are common to all people at all times. We've got no room to complain at all about any of that anyway. But some of the trouble that we face is because we are followers of Jesus. Then there's a third kind of person. Their hedonism kicks in. And they get worried about themselves. And they worry about things here on earth. And they think that if they had more money, they'd be doing a lot better. Or they might actually think that if God gave them more money, then they could be better Christians. And that is a lie. That is a great lie. And that wealth, money, will deceive people. And that chokes out that word that's been sown in the heart, and it's no longer fruitful. There's no fruit in it. And I think perhaps you would know that there are people like that. They've come into church, but they're really thinking about money, thinking about the things of this world, worried about the things of this world. And they're not fruitful. They're not spiritually fruitful. Well, the fourth example that Jesus gave is good soil. And let's look at that. What marks this kind of person? In verse 8, Jesus said, Other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And in verse 23, he clarifies, he describes exactly what he's talking about. The one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Amen. That's good. There is good soil. There are people who have good soil where the word can settle in. And I want to highlight a few things that Jesus says about this person and also what marks this kind of person. First of all, this person receives the seed. The word that is sown in the heart is welcomed in and they understand it. They comprehend it. They fit it together. And this is key to really understand the word and not just have a mental knowledge of what Jesus said. This is an understanding that includes the head and the heart, people who receive the word and they get it. And as I said previously, the way to get it is to go to Jesus and ask him to clarify. Let him teach. Let him be the rabbi. Let him be the teacher. So what is it that marks this kind of person? What are the marks of these people who receive this word and understand it and bear fruit? What are the attributes of this good soil? Well, based on what was said before, I think we can easily say that these people are people who resist the devil. Remember that first kind of soil, the seed falls on the path and the demons come and take it away. And this person is going to resist that work, that spiritual work of the devil and his agents. Another marker, another attribute of this good soil of these people are those who bear up under trouble and persecution because of their faith. They press through when something hard happens or when they're persecuted or people say bad things about them. They press through. They don't give up just because of hardship or trouble or persecution. They are also people who refuse to allow the worries of this life to have any power. And this is so important for us. There are these forces in the world, spiritual forces, emotional forces, our selfish inclinations, 
And if we want to have good soil, we have to refuse to allow the worries of this life to have control over us. I mean, they're there. We can know that they're there, but we have to refuse to give them power. And we have to realize and flee from this deceitfulness of wealth. We've got to understand that money deceives people, that there is a lie involved in wealth, and we've got to flee from that. And people who have hearts that are like good soil will flee from the deceitfulness of wealth. You'll see it and run from it. And those people who do those things create a harvest. There is a harvest to come. And these people bear fruit. They abide in the Lord. And just as we see Jesus speak in other places about abiding in the vine and the branches bearing the fruit, amen. These are the people that abide in Jesus and they bear much fruit. And I think I'll take a second just quickly to say, the Lord says that some people produce a crop that's a hundred times what was sown. Some people produce a crop that is 60 times or 30 times what is sown. That's a pretty wide range of fruitfulness, if you want to judge it that way. I mean, there are people who are involved in ministry that I guess I'd say they have a hundred times more fruit than I do, but that's okay. The fruit is up to the Lord. Amen? I just want my heart to be as good a soil as it possibly can be, but the bearing of fruit and the harvest that comes is up to him, really. Some yield a hundred, some yield sixty, some yield thirty times what was sown. I'll let the Lord be the judge of that. I don't even really know how you would judge that. But my desire is that I'll be among the people that produce a hundredfold. Amen? Press on. Do the best we can. So how do we avoid these spiritual, hedonistic, or fearful dangers? How do we avoid this herbicide? Well, we shouldn't think that we can overcome these dangers by ourselves that we need to become better people before becoming a disciple of Jesus. There's a great danger in that, and that is the religious spirit and can very quickly lead to legalism to think that I need to be better so that then I could follow Jesus. What we see in all of this story is Jesus speaks a word. He actually sows the seed, and then some disciples come to him and ask him, what does he mean? Why does he do these things? And then he reveals things, and they get more and more understanding. So they came to him in order to receive revelation. They came to Jesus in order to be better disciples. I mean, that's what it is to be a disciple, is to listen to the rabbi and walk with the teacher and live and share life with the teacher. The fruit-bearing seed understands the word. It comprehends the word. And a very large part of understanding is the knowledge that God will give his people the strength to abide in him, to bear fruit. Uh, The secret of understanding is this knowledge that it is his power at work in his people. If you think about it, the seed doesn't come from the soil. The seed comes from the one who's sowing it. And the seed has within itself everything that it needs to grow up and bear the fruit that it's intended to bear. All it needs is a good place to sit, and then that growth is going to happen. And that's how our hearts should be. We should have hearts that are open to receive the word. 
Well, the imagery here, of course, is very much that of plowing a field. It's possible to have soil that has never been broken, and it's hard, and seed won't get down in there. So we need to have open hearts. We need to have hearts of good soil that have been plowed open so that we can receive that word. And then we need to ask Jesus to make it clear to us exactly what it is. What does it mean? How do you live this out? Even the disciples had to go to Jesus and say, what do you mean exactly? But it was those who went to him and asked. Those are the ones who received the revelation. Amen. And they're the ones that bore a lot of fruit. One reason I'm talking to you is because those believers let the word settle into their heart and bear fruit. Amen. So let's keep in mind that our role is to have hearts that will receive the word and hearts that will understand and comprehend all that God has for us and turn away from the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Let us press through any hardship that comes because we're followers of Jesus. Let us accept any persecution that comes because we walk in his ways. Those things are going to come, but we got to press through. And may we be people who bear fruit, much fruit, eternal fruit, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all. Thank you.